You might think a school in outer space that instructs through zero-gravity laser tag and video games sounds like a dream come true. But for Ender Wigan, it's Hell, Alcatraz, and Middle School all rolled into one. Can a seven-year-old boy survive a boot camp where the faculty seems to be doing everything in its power to make sure he doesn't fit in? What makes an effective leader? And how do you defeat the giant in the giant's drink level of free play fantasy game? Let's find out as we continue our discussion of Ender's Game on Reliterated, the only lowbrow book club podcast approved by the Hegemon for public consumption. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020s hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. We also discuss our books in great detail, and we do not leave out spoilers, so if you haven't read the book or you're unfamiliar with the story... It's a good idea to have those read before listening. You can interact with us and enjoy all kinds of bonus content by searching Reliterated on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, and Facebook. Or you can ask us questions, suggest future episodes, or tell us what we've missed by sending us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. I'm Andy, and I am the commander of the nuclear-powered polar bear army. I'm Harold, and I am the commander of... Scorpion army. I didn't know I needed to add <laughs> devices. And I'm Josh, and I'm the leader of the Orca army, because orcas are assholes of the ocean. <laughs> okay, may- fine. Maybe I'm not nuclear-powered polar bears. Just, we're the polar bear army. Yeah, my orcas are going to fuck your polar bears up, dude. <laughs> right. And Scorpion will be able to get a pat on his foot, you know, and plus polar, <laughs> pol- polar bears are endangered. <laughs> Nobody expects the scorpion. This is episode 19, our second part of Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. And uh, where we left off, are we going to jump right into it? Anybody want to tell us about your week, how things are going? Uh, It's been a week. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah. Caught the uh, season finale of Loki. Excited that they're actually going to do a second season on that one because I know they're not doing that with the other shows. Right, right. I haven't uh, haven't seen the finale yet, but I did get that news that they're doing. Oh, a dude, second let season. me tell you. Let me tell you what happens. Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> I've only watched three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're halfway there. <laughs> I know. It I turns mean- out Loki is Thanos. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> but yeah, no, I uh, haven't had anything. All too exciting happened this week so far. I walked. I watched. Uh, I watched Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction because I had read an article about Tarantino films earlier this week, and so I watched those films. And I thought it was they're they're still pretty good. But specifically, the reason I watched Pulp Fiction is because there's a scene where Mia, played by Uma Thurman, is talking to uh, John Travolta's character Vince Vega. And she explains the pilot to the TV show that she was in. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys remember this scene specifically. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't. So she starts describing a show called Fox Force Five. Right. It was five <laughs> deadly women, all with specific abilities. And the character she played 
was the deadliest woman in the world with a knife. And then, you know, obviously some 15 years later, she played the protagonist of Kill Bill, where it was the snakes, the deadly viper gang. But she was the deadliest woman in the world with a sword. Yeah, I love how they brought that back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So people aren't sure if it was that Tarantino always had that idea and kind of put it in as a, a foreshadowing Easter egg or if. He was playing with that idea, and it just kind of grew from there into something he wanted to eventually do. I believe I heard the uh, the story that like that's kind of where the idea for Kill Bill originated. The Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, or Divas, came out of that idea, the, uh, the Fox Force 5. Okay. That uh, Quentin and uh, Uma Thurman kind of worked on that idea and yeah that's kind of how kill bill was born it's it's kind of cool thinking about because i mean pulp fiction's one of his first films that had notoriety Mm -hmm. and then there was uh there was some easter eggs some little details in reservoir dogs that were interesting that i wanted to watch i just i don't know got interested wanted to watch it i always have a hard time watching reservoir dogs though because even though it happens off camera when he cuts off that cop's ear with the razor knife God, I can't take that kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one for sure. Tarantino, he was he was more interesting uh, back in the day as a filmmaker. I've kind of lost a little bit of interest in in seeing his stuff and with his more recent uh, movies. But yeah, I was big into like the Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs, and uh, I don't know. I was only able to watch Django Unchained once, (laughs) just because of how brutal it got and how how tough it was to watch there's yeah. a certain scene i cannot i can't watch that movie because of a certain scene so I, the hateful just, eight's pretty good too it was so long though it is long that's why it's better to watch it uh netflix has it in a version where they have four episodes that you can watch it as so you can watch it in an episodic matter oh that's hmm. much better but i mean tarantino's films being better back in the day is almost exactly like limp biscuit right Limp Biscuit. You know, I hear everybody out. saying that. Yeah, it's exactly the same. <laughs> Limp Biscuit comes out with their first album. Everybody loves it. They come out with the second album. They're they're thinking it's pretty good, you know. And then as it goes on, they just become, you know, their popularity kind of interjects with their art. And then you look back at their old art. The difference being that when you look back at Quentin Tarantino's old art, it's still good. It's <laughs> the only difference between Tarantino and Limp Biscuit. What you mean, uh, chocolate starfish doesn't exactly oh God. Uh, <laughs> hold up. Oh, not as compared to like Faith or Break stuff. <laughs> I mean, Nookie is still Nookie. Well, and the truth of the matter is, is that you know, off the first album, I couldn't name any song but Faith, which is a cover. So, uh, you know, maybe they're not so much like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> well the last movie i watched uh this week i watched the b movie <laughs> and Ooh. that it actually wound up being kind of interesting uh you don't hear it talked about a whole lot but that goes to some <laughs> strange places man it does yeah the one with jerry seinfeld you're talking yep, the, yep. yeah oh yeah that movie's super messed up <laughs> There's a few movies like that. Um, I Everyone's seen A Bug's Life, but have you ever watched Ants? I think mm-hmm. I saw it one time. 
Yeah, it's it's got Sylvester Stallone and uh, Woody Allen. Woody in it. Allen is the. That's yeah. why I yeah. didn't like it because even back then I thought Woody Allen was skeezy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's skeezy, but the the movie itself I saw it a few times and that it was. I don't know. It definitely had more adult stuff going on that you didn't necessarily catch as a kid. It It's interesting. I forget what the, the plot kind of arc of ants was. I know a bug's life was like a seven samurai type type thing. Right. But uh, I forget what he, what he was out to find in ants. Yeah. I can't remember myself. Hmm. We'll have to bing it. Did you watch any movies this week, Josh? I know you didn't uh, watch any didn't, Beverly uh, Hills Cop movies. Yeah, I didn't want to watch that last night because I was. I've been working a lot of overtime this week, so I haven't had a <laughs> lot of time to watch movies. Uh, last weekend, I did go. I traveled to Oregon to see my father, and it was actually a really good trip. Uh, I went with my brother, and we stopped at Heaven on Earth, which is a little place that claimed to have the best cinnamon rolls in the world i don't know if they're the best but they're up there oh man it was very good and i got to stop at my favorite donut shop of all time voodoo donuts um i got to go to the one in eugene uh shout out to them for hooking me up with the the biggest donuts that they had there it seemed and uh yeah it was a good trip and uh i've been watching holy moly and lego masters so those are the shows that I recommend watching. Holy moly, this year is it's not as funny, but the uh, the wipeout aspect is is hyped up this year. So I'm enjoying all the pain that these people are going through. And uh, Lego Masters is it's a bunch of people playing with Legos, which I love Legos. So and these guys, these people are amazing. Have you guys seen the show? Holy moly. Well, either Holy moly or Lego Masters. Lego Masters is just amazing. It's crazy how the things that these people can make out of Legos. I have seen some pretty wild Lego uh, creations, though. Yeah, episode two, they they had to make explosion things that exploded really well. This one uh, team made a frog, a like a circular frog out of Legos. I was like, how how do people (laughs) do that? I just don't get it. My brain doesn't work that way. You just have to put the Legos in the right spot and it'll turn into stuff. Yeah, I know. All I ever did was made dune buggies when I was a kid. (laughs) My brother and I made guns all the time. (laughs) I'm rather useless at Legos unless they have like the step-by-step directions and putting together the sets. Bruce loves Legos and so we'll play with them sometimes. He, He makes all kinds of creations and comes out and explains them to me. They don't always look like what he says they are, but I believe him. Imagination, man. I wish I still had one that was that good. So, Ants. Uh, Z, the worker ant, strives to reconcile his own individuality with the communal work ethic of the ant colony. He falls in love with the ant princess, Bala. Z strives to make social inroads and then must save the ant colony from the treacherous scheming of the evil General Mandible that threatened to wipe out the entire worker population. Hmm. It's all sounding pretty familiar. I just don't remember how this general threatened to... uh wipe them all out i mean sure you got woody allen right but you have sylvester stallone sharon stone danny glover (laughs) jennifer lopez gene hackman and christopher walken in that movie (laughs) wow yeah uh just look up how many stars were in uh sin city a dame to kill for just because a lot of stars are in it doesn't mean it's a good movie yeah i think we should watch ants again (laughs) 
<laughs> we we got a backlog of uh, of book related movies that we've got to watch. Yeah, that we right. have to watch for the, the for the yeah. uh, like what a few episodes from now. <laughs> Ooh, I already watched Ender's Game, but I will watch it again because I bought it. Right. So I'm under, I was under the impression we're all going to watch these together and yeah, stuff, and but... we have yet to have watched them together. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. watched it and told Bruce that he's got to start that training next year. <laughs> right. He's already seven. He's falling behind. Yep. And now we've been, uh, we chase each other around the house trying to put monitors in each other's necks now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he's only kicked you in the solar plexus and broken your nose twice. Right. I'll tell you what, man, these kids, when they gang up on me, I don't know. <laughs> Your days they, are numbered, my friend. The only reason that they win any of the fights is because I don't actually hit back, you know. So <laughs> if you don't stop them, if you don't have a decisive victory, they're just going to keep picking on you. <laughs> yeah, I know it. And that's uh, that's the theme that we're going for here with Ender's Game <laughs> and the future fights before they even start. Yep, they know better. I control the candy <laughs> and the you television. Strangle hold on the candy supply. Yep. <laughs> At this point, uh, Ender is getting ready to launch into space, which is where the battle school is. And they have their little discussion at the beginning here between the two uh, officers where they're trying to explain how they want Ender to follow the orders. But at the same time, they don't want him to fall in line with the way things work because they want him to... They want him to feel as though he can work a way around the rules. That's what they're looking for out of him is to be able to think around the rules. To adapt to uh, to anything that comes up. So their plan is to isolate him, to make him the subject of people hating him or or at least not wanting to help him. Because they want to break him, basically. It's because he he's sweet. But at the same time, he has that that killer edge in him. That's why he he took care of Stilson the way he did. So that that's they said it. He's like, that's where you're mistaken. He's even sweeter than he looks. But don't worry, we'll purge that in a hurry. Sometimes I think you enjoy breaking these little geniuses. There is an art to it, and I'm very very good at it. But enjoy? Well, maybe that's dark. That reminds me of Walter White at the end when right. he's just like, I'm good at it, and I enjoy it. That's why I do it. So the key of uh, of training that uh, that killer edge uh, in Ender is to to isolate him from everyone around him so that he can rise to the top more easily, I suppose. And I mean, it kind of gets off to one of those starts for him right away. Uh, they get they get ready to launch, and they're walking up, and they're they're being seen by the news they're like videotaping them as they're walking in you know because it's all propaganda it reminds me of like starship troopers kind of how no matter what's happening it's always war propaganda for them and he imagines himself talking to the announcer and telling them you know oh i'm pretty hungry and they they ask if he's eaten he said you know they don't let you eat for 20 hours before launch 
and but all of it ends up being imagination. He's not he kind of like laughs to himself. Everybody else is kind of laughing and smiling. And he finally laughs to himself. But it's it's for the reason of his own little in joke that he's having. So even right here, he's already separated from everybody else. They're talking, laughing with each other, and he's laughing at his own thing in his own mind. And he kind of wants to like wave at the camera and say goodbye to Valentine. But he he already knows that they would censor that out because these guy these kids at six years old are meant to be like stoic heroes. Everybody's got to view them as these ready to do whatever it takes for the human race type people. They can't show emotion. They can't miss their mom and dad. There can't uh, be any kind of, uh, they can't be seen enjoying this stuff because they're, they're humanity's great hope. Right. Even though they're kids, they're like six, seven year old kids, I suppose is about their, uh, their age range that they're going up. Like it's all very carefully, crafted and yeah so they're on the ship and they're getting their places and Griff comes around and starts talking with ender ender uh they kind of joke with each other and ender smiled he he felt comfortable with graph graph was good yeah <laughs> right <laughs> so and graph is playing that part kind of like right now at this moment he's acting like he's ender's friend to make him feel comfortable to get up there. But it's almost immediate how quickly he turns to, all right, now you're fucking stuck here in space with me, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But not overtly. No, no, no. But it's clear that he's not his friend. He's not his buddy. Yeah, because Ender laughs. He was thinking of Graf uh, in zero gravity and the things. So he started laughing to himself. And then Graf's voice was sharp and angry. What do you think so funny, Wigan? By now they're already up in space, by yeah. the way. Like, yeah, they've a launched. Brief paragraph about launch, how it wasn't so bad. Right. They went by the point of uh, fear- fearing that this was going to be the first failed launch since the early days of the shuttle. So it was no big deal actually taking off and getting into space. But now Graf comes in and uh, because there's zero gravity and all the, the kids are strapped into their, their seats... He comes in and kind of, uh, from their perspective, is hanging from the ceiling. So it makes Ender kind of laugh at the sight of it. This paragraph kind of foreshadows how Ender thinks a little bit differently than everyone else. Because he he sees the situation and he imagines it as a game. So he sees Graph in all these different positions. He sees him hanging upside down. He sees him coming out from the side because gravity could go any way that Ender wanted it to in his mind. And that is what made him laugh, is the fact that he could make Graf do all these shenanigans, and it, nothing was stopping him from doing it. So it's just showing how his mind works a little bit differently than others right there. Right, because he, he laughs, Graf asks him, you know, what's so funny? And he was sharp and angry about it, and then he, you know, Ender tells him why, because he was imagining him the way he was moving around in null gravity, and he's like, yeah, I think to you it might be funny. Is it funny to anyone else here? And everybody's like, no. And he goes, why not? And then he starts, he he calls them scum, brain, scum brains and tell, says all he's got is pinheaded little morons on the ship. And uh, the, he asks if this kid understood what's going on, you know, with gravity and how you can move in a direction. And the boy nods and he goes, no, you didn't. You're not only stupid, but a liar. And then this is where he starts to separate Ender from everybody else. He says, there's only one boy on on the launch with any brains and that's ender wiggin and so basically he tells them that he he's going to be commander while you guys are all 
fucking around and being idiots. <laughs> yeah, and that's the first thing that gets people like, oh, shit. Yeah, he singled him out as the exceptional one, which yep. will make him a target to the rest of the students and isolate Ender from them as per his strategy. What what other book have we seen this before? Because we've, we've seen this before in like Maniac McGee, where like the exceptional kid is resented by all the other kids who are made to look bad because of the uh, the protagonist's exceptionalism. Right. Yeah, no, it, and it's funny because in real life, it sure seems like the exceptional people are the ones who get all of it, and it's the people that are weaker or less able that are the ones who get the hate and beat up and stuff. Yeah, it's, it seems like, and this is kind of like the teacher-pet scenario uh, where nobody likes... Nobody likes the kid who's friends with the teacher and gets all the special privileges. Yeah, I want to say that we've seen this in a book recently, in one of our recent episodes, where the teacher kind of makes the protagonist kind of an enemy of the class, but I'm racking my brain here. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen yeah. it in a book that we've done so far. I don't know. If I think of it, I'll, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'll come with it. But yeah, it's a thing that happens. It's where a, uh, a teacher will, will praise a student and uh, you know, make make them a target for uh, the rest of the, the resentful kids. And it, it is working because one of the kids has unfastened his straps and starts hitting Ender in the head. And Ender's kind of like letting it go. Like, hey, you know, Graf is going to step in and stop this kid. And then he begins to realize that he won't step in. And I wanted to mention something that I noticed. Uh, this kid says, hey, fart eater to Ender. And I realized, man, Orson Scott Card really likes butt stuff, like things that have to do with butts, <laughs> fart and turd and all that. Yeah. It's, well, uh, that's also how six-year-olds talk. That's their insults because they don't <laughs> yeah, know anything I, else. He doesn't have to write it this way where six-year-olds talk like this. Right. This could be a world where six-year-olds don't talk like this, where they I don't. mean, they're supposed to be super smart. Right, and they're obsessed with butt stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, no kink-shaming I mean, here, Andy. <laughs> this is a no-kink-shaming podcast. You leave I mean, people, no they want to do butt no stuff. No one said, listen, no one said butt stuff is bad. All I'm saying is that Orson Scott Card specifically tends to talk about butt stuff a lot. Yep. He does apparently. Oh, he specifically would be against butt stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say is it that 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 secret that he's he might be holding? <laughs> he yeah. thinks he doth protest too much. Right. But uh Ender is kind of he Ender's game is is going to play its uh show its face here. He Knows that this, game. He knows that yeah, he knows that this kid is gonna hit him again. And so he waits, and as soon as the kid goes to swing again, he snatch he throws his hands up, snatches the kid, and then throws him through the air in the gravity, but he do it did it really hard. And so the kid goes flying through the air like he would in, in low gravity and ends up slamming into the bulkhead of the ship and it, it breaks his arm. Like Ender doesn't play like just here. I'm going to win this fight really quick. He just. Well, this one he didn't do on purpose. He because of the, the null effect of the, gra the the null gravity is what messed up his calculations. Yes and no. It, he wanted the kid to be hurt like he he all he did was pull as hard as he could. He caught yeah. his, caught the kid's arm and pulled as hard as he could. He didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. No, but 
that's that's like the small little part of Ender is that no, he doesn't want the person to get hurt. But yes, he does want the person to get hurt. It's that's why they they like him is that he wants to end the fight before the battle begins. Right. But again, he didn't he was not Ender wasn't expecting it. That's literally in the book. So he was not expecting it to happen. It literally says Ender felt sick. He had only meant to catch the boy's arm. No, no, he had meant to hurt him, and he had pulled with all his strength. He hadn't meant it to be so public. Yeah, he didn't mean to hurt him so bad. Yeah. Is what it was. But yeah, broke dude's arm. Broke kid's arm. (laughs) Fucked him up. Ender hated himself. Oh, come on, man. You're all right. Well, he doesn't want to be a killer like his brother Peter. He doesn't want to enjoy it. And then he, Graf kind of pulls it in even a little bit more here. He tells all these kids, you know, you know, what do you think is going on here? We pick the best of the best. And among you, Ender Wigan is the best one in the launch. You know, like he's still trying, even after he did that. I like how he called them my little dorklings. (laughs) (laughs) When I tell you Ender Wigan is the best in this launch, take the hint, my little dorklings. Don't mess with him. Little boys have died in battle school before. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, that's going to. (laughs) <laughs> get the kids on Ender's side for sure. Right. So they dock with the battle school. Graf asks Ender if he, if he had a good flight. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he confronts Graf. I thought you were my friend. So yeah, Graf is like, it's not my job to be your friend. It's my job to make soldiers. And it's your job to be good enough that, uh, that the other boys will want to follow you. Because we're fighting a war. A war of love. <laughs> oh yes, a war where that can be won by the power of love. Love is a battlefield. <laughs> All's fair in love and war. You know, he he also says he's like, we need a hero. We're holding out for a hero at the end of the night. <laughs> I knew he's you were gotta be strong. <laughs> he's gotta be strong. He's gotta be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget the night that you did that at karaoke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And Ender's like, I can be your hero, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I can kiss away the pain. <laughs> and Graf is like, I don't need another one of these on my record. <laughs> so uh, he also mentions to him that, you know, uh, he asks about freedom and all that. And, and Graf's like, yeah, people are free right up until humanity needs them and humanity needs you. So you're no longer free. Like you're a tool. But they they also they don't talk about it. They do and they don't. But they, they're in a rush to get him ready. Like, you know, they don't need him in the next six months to be ready, but they need him well before he's even a, before he's an adult for sure. They are hinting that things are going to come to a head before they can be ready. And he he also ends up talking to Anderson shortly after he sends Ender away down to his his uh, bunk room. And he tells Anderson, you know, the kid's wrong. I am his friend. It's just I need him to be ready to do this. And I can't act like his friend, which, you know, Graf isn't it, it really maybe in his own mind. He's Ender's friend, but he's not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Definitely isn't. He sees all this as as necessary to save the human race. And then the the conversation to the next one, uh, it's they're gonna get into the games, but they're basically like, 
having a conversation about whether that kid's arm getting broken was too much or not or just enough. And basically they're like, yeah, you know, it's it's great. It makes him makes people question whether they should go at him. But at the same time, it shows us that Ender's willing to do what he has to do to survive. And they kind of even blame the kid a little bit because he shouldn't have been out of his seat in the first place at that point. The the ship they're on is is pretty neat, like the battle station or the battle school. They've they've discovered how to create gravity and they never really explain how they created gravity inside of the the main living quarters and everything. But they do have gravity like artificial gravity. And when they get to their bunks. They send Ender over to his bunk and he's got to place his hand on on the scanner uh, at the trunk in front of his bunk and he has to speak his name twice. And then it opens up and he's got like a a locker at the end of his bed with uh, his desk is in it and some jumpsuits and these things called flash suits, which are what they use in the games to allow them to simulate getting hit by munitions. I believe the gravity in the station is created by uh, the centrifugal force. They spin the the whole station around. They say that at first, yes. They say that at first that it's it's the centripetal force that's creating the gravity. But later, they kind of suggest that there's more to it than that. Right, that they, that found, they found ways to manipulate gravity right. a little bit. It's like the, because the outside of the station is is gravity by cent- centrifugal force, but then like in the inside of of that wheel is uh is the big the battle rooms right with uh, which have closer to zero gravity, but then they they play around with gravity in the whole in the transition between the two. But they have uh then they have like these three colors each each team or whatever they're called launches right now. Uh, they're, this is where they first come in and basically be like the kids or the, the people that are in boot camp at this point yeah, right the, now. The, the cadets. Yeah. They're the, the, uh, the, the fresh, uh, the fresh meat. Yep. In the and school. his, his color is red, yellow, yellow right now. So basically whenever his team gets called, they'll have like these lights that show them where to go and he has to follow red, yellow, yellow. And if you had, you know, different colors, you'd follow those. And this is where we meet Dap. He says, I'm your mom for the next few months. And turns out Ender was given the bunk where most of the time the leaders end up being. So he's in a bunk right by the door on the lower level, which most people would think that's like the worst bunk. But in actuality, it's probably one of the better ones. He It was it was by mistake. Ender walked in and he just basically chose that bunk. They, they said that most all the other bunks were taken. So he had to take that one. Right. But he played it off like they had uh, saved it for him, and he actually wanted that bunk. Right. Yeah, and then Dap told him it turned out that's where usually uh, the chief officer is usually there. So he ends up getting a position, like basically like a true position of power just because of the bunk he got. But Dap is not one to me mess with. He's nice, but not too nice. So he's like, give me any lip, and I'll break your face, Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> but he also makes it known that he's the nicest person they're going to have on the ship. <laughs> he does far. basically wind up being the nicest uh, leader <laughs> yep. that yeah. Ender encounters in the battle school. This is battle school, not nursery school. So he also explains that, you know, you might get pushed around, but murder and deliberate injury are against the rules. And he, he notes that he heard someone's arm got broken. But if that happens again, people will be icing out when icing out is 
loot washing out, getting kicked out, put out in the cold, sent Earthside, finished just, at battle school. Just toss him out the airlock. Yep. <laughs> Probably not, but that's definitely what happens. No, it isn't. It, and it kind of, this, even here he says, so boys, if any of you are thinking of being troublemakers, at least be clever about it, okay? Which, so the Spartans, one of the ways that they trained him was they would not feed them enough food, right? So if they wanted more food, they would have to go out and steal it. And they weren't supposed to steal, but they also weren't, if they didn't get caught, they wouldn't get in trouble for it, okay? So it was kind of like teaching them to think faster than your opponent. You know, you're hungry, go take some food, but don't get caught, you know? And that's kind of what he's saying here, you know? If you're going to be a troublemaker, be clever. So they go to dinner. No one sits by them, but there's a giant scoreboard on the wall. Show the team standings, win-loss records, recent scores. And then he started to notice that the older kids were divided into groups according to the uniforms that they, they had. Uh, I didn't realize Scorpion was actually a name in this. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the other one, Salamander, Dragon, Rat. <laughs> Ooh, Tide. They have the mo- the best clothes because nobody washes like Tide. Yeah. Nope. They're the cleanest group. The only problem with them is they have big targets on their outfit, and so it's easy <laughs> to hit them. That's true. <laughs> he meets a kid named Mick, tells him his name is Ender, and he's like, yeah, it's not a bad name, you know, finisher. You know, it sounds sounds right on the nose of what you need to be doing, basically. And he kind of tells him, uh, you know, hey, I notice you're alone, and every launch has that. But this kid doesn't plan on being a commander, this older kid. He's like, nah, I'm going to be a soldier. I'll be cannon fodder. I don't have the brains for it. I'm a fart in the air conditioning. I'm yep. always there, but most of the time, nobody knows it. Yeah, it turns out all the other guys that he was with, uh, that camp he came up with, they're all commanders, but not him. So he gives he gives some advice. Doing you a favor, make friends, be a leader, kiss butts if you got to. But if the other guys despise you, you know what I mean? Nah, you don't know nothing. You launchers are all like. So yeah, he, he, tries, he tries to tell Ender, tries to give him some good advice. And then we never see him again. Yeah, but he didn't like Mick. So, <laughs> yeah, Ender says, I will not be the bugger of my, my group, he thought. Yeah, because that's what uh, what Mick asked him. Are you the bugger in your group? Every every uh, group of launches has that has the bugger. And he decides he did this for his family. He didn't leave just to become iced or cannon fodder. So He's he thinks of takes. them and gains strength. And then he also almost cries. Yes. But he, he does everything he can to push it down. He doubles numbers up into the millions or something. <clears throat> and he's yeah. six. Not even seven years old. He's yep. six yep. years six. old. Yep. He, he goes one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, and it carries it all the way up to um, six million seven hundred thousand eight hundred. Yeah, oh, sixty-seven million, million. million. one hundred eight thousand eight hundred sixty-four, and that's when he began to be unsure. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, am I? Do I have the right numbers here? <laughs> Fuck you, Ender. It's like those people that can do pie out to an insane amount. It's like, why? Slash how? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is the first night at the place. And so he hears other people crying out in the dark. And he he just he couldn't help himself. And he, he formed Valentine's name. He could hear laughing the distance. Yeah. And Dap kind of comes around and his his position is definitely when he says he's the mother, it's like he comes around and kind of like gives them minor comfort. You know, like a, a, the kids are, are upset that, you know, it's kind of sinking in where they are right now and what this means now. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're he, all feeling he, homesick and on yep. the first night. And so he kind of goes around, gives them minor comfort. And then right into the next day, they start, boom, school. That's reading numbers, history, videos of bloody battles in space, Marines spraying their guts all over the walls of bugger <laughs> ships. <laughs> it is is worth noting that uh, with uh, some of the kids that Dap was coming around and giving like a, a gentle touch on the shoulder or whatever, it was that moment of kindness that... Uh, made a bunch of kids uh, go over the edge and start crying, but uh, yep. en- Ender did not because he he was used to uh, to holding back his tears uh, because of his brother Peter. He didn't want Peter to ever know that uh, that he could affect him. And so he silently thanks his brother for teaching him how to hide his feelings. Yeah, I can attest uh, the the kindness being uh, actually making the floodgates open more. I, I used to be a camp counselor. And usually in the first two nights, one or two nights, it, there would be one or two kids that were having a little uh, tough time. It was like their first time away from home, some of them. And so, yeah, you go and you try to like talk to them to be nicer. But usually they had they cried a lot worse and then they got better. They had to get, you know, they have to get it out. So I understand why they did it. You should have started yelling at them. That would help. <laughs> no, we only yelled at the kids that uh, pooped the pa- pooped the bed. How dare you! How dare you poop in your sleeping bag? It's gross. What are you, a baby <laughs> pooping? Huh? <laughs> now your entire cabin has to do two laps around the camp just because of you, Mister Poo Poo Pants. You're gonna sleep in that poop. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, here's how how good of a camp this was. Like, there were kids that had accidents, and you would have to check every camper's bunk to see if there was an accident. And if there was, you would immediately take that, throw it in the washing machine, wash it, dry it, put it back before the kids get back from their first class. Nobody knows anything. Saves them the embarrassment, and, uh, yeah, it was it was a good system. Well, you were clearly not trying to raise good soldiers. Nope. Uh, no. Nah. Oh, oh, maybe Jesus' soldiers, because that's the Christian camp. <laughs> soldiers for the army of Christ. It's a whole song about that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, grew, grew up in the church. Uh, not part of it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, growing up in the church, you hear some weird shit. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so what you don't hear about is these crazy games, right? These crazy games that they got. They've got a bunch of they. I mean, it sounds kind of like an arcade almost like they've. But all the games have a focus on strategy and action, basically. Mm-hmm. So sounds like an arcade. <laughs> and he's the only launchy that really comes and watches these older boys play this game. Sometimes they push him out of the way, but he was like, no, this is, I want to know about this. And Ender watches them and, and thinks about, you know, all the ways he could beat them. They think, you know, this is so stupid, blah, blah, blah. But he he's like, yeah, I could totally beat him. Within an hour, he understood the regularities by then, understood the rules the computer was following. So he could think ahead of, he could think ahead of the, of the computer. He he asks the kid about uh, he gets to a point where he's challenging this kid and he hasn't played it yet. So he basically knows he's going to lose the first one. So he asks the kid if he wants to play two out of three. And the kid's like, yeah, sure. Or no at first. And then he's like, oh, he, he goads him with, you know, what are you scared of me for? So they start playing and he doesn't know how to play and the kid wins the first game. 
And he's like, you know, you satisfied launching? And he says two out of three. And this this kid's like, we don't allow two out of three games. He goes, oh, so you beat me the first time I ever touched the game, Ender said. If you can't do it twice, you can't do it at all. So when they played again, Ender won, but he didn't win easily. And then the last time he just boop, beat him real quick. And of course, all the older kids are like, oh, it's, this game's getting too easy. That's the problem. Anybody can play this one now. <laughs> and no one congratulates him or says anything. It's a, it's an excuse. It's the, it's the machine. It's not that Ender was better, but that's all Ender needed. He actually likes when people won't give him recognition because he understands that they're not giving recognition because they're being sore losers because they know they couldn't beat him. Right, but he knows that they'll remember him. They'll remember the, the kid who... uh who beat the older boys at uh, at Street Fighter Two? <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, in, in my mind, I, I picture like a little kid watching this uh, this older kid playing Street Fighter, and he's just watching like how the computer uh, counters and the strategies and whatever. So he knows he could beat the the computer, but he doesn't quite know the controls. So he takes on the older boy, and once he gets a uh, a handle for the controls, it's game on, and his a uh, his strategy can't be beat. Uh, we find out the name of the kid whose arm got broken. His name is Bernard. You have to say it with and a French accent. Yep. Bernard. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he spoke his own name with a French accent since the French, with their arrogant separatism, insisted that the teaching of standard not begin until the age of four, when the French language patterns were already set. So this kid speaks with a French accent. What a dick. Damn yeah. separatists. Just to, to make you hate them even more. Separatists. They, you know, basically, I would almost say that they would try to be like an empire or something. And they're they're just shit. They're going to lose. <laughs> but so the arm, the broken arm made him a martyr. And he's kind of a sadist. Yep. He's a sadist. His sadism yep. made him a natural focus for all those who love pain in others. Yep. And so Ender's the enemy of him and all his little cronies. And they're basically just doing kid stuff. They're kicking his bed, tripping him on the ladders. And if he left anything outside his locker, they would obviously do something with it. And he it made him quick on his feet. And he, he knew not to leave stuff out. And Ender would get angry, but he didn't really... He knew that it, that wouldn't work. So Ender figured out that Bernard is basically like trying to form his own kingdom, his own hierarchy of people where he's the leader and he has his underlings. So some of the boys were willing servants, whereas other ones didn't didn't really like Bernard as much. And Ender being who he was, he saw who who didn't like Bernard. Yeah, he basically <laughs> wants to put himself together with the people that Bernard is picking yeah. on because that means that he can create his own little group of people. And he doesn't really do it with like saying, hey, we're a group that's together, but just like, hey, I'm I'm an ally. Right. So he turns his attention on this one one boy in particular that Bernard and his uh, his cronies are uh, are focusing on. And that's a small boy named Shen. They call him Worm because he's small and he wriggles. <laughs> and because he wriggles, look how he shimmies his butt when he walks. <laughs> More butt stuff. More butt fixation. Oh, look at you, mister. I'm good at accents. <laughs> <laughs> I am a professional voice actor, professional uh, narrator. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so Ender uh, hacks the desks. Uh, all the desks are on a network. He hacks the desks and he made up a, cr- a fake student named God. 
and he sent a message around to go around every 30 seconds. And what is it? The message, the message says, cover your butt. Bernard is watching God. So Bernard's like, who did this? Yep. <laughs> and Shen says, God. <laughs> <laughs> so then he sends Ender a message, says, I know you, I know it was you. And Ender just acts like he didn't even see the message. And then a message starts going around to everybody's desk. And this was the message. I love your butt. <laughs> Let me kiss it. Bernard. <laughs> I did not write that message. <laughs> not a professional voice actor. But still, still pretty good. Harold, <laughs> that, that was Austrian. I did Austrian. not write that message. <laughs> I did not write that message. <laughs> I didn't know it was Raiden was here. <laughs> Christopher Lambert. I love your butt. Let me kiss it. That actually sounds like a Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> yeah. phrase. I love your butt. Let me kiss it. He's Belgian. Close enough. They're very close. Geographically. Yeah. And they, they Dap is kind of like, you know, hey, everybody knows that the message automatically puts your name at the end. And Bernard's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Ah! And Dap's like, I don't know, man. Seems like <laughs> yeah. it was you. Bernard's going to Dap <laughs> to, for, for help. And Dap knows who's doing it. He's he's yeah. got access. He's but he's not uh, he's not playing along. He's not uh, confirming or denying any any suspicions. <laughs> Yesterday, someone sent a message that was signed God. Really? I didn't know he was signed onto the system. Said Dap. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Ender Ender denies it to Shen, but Shen basically knows. Yeah, it was you, bro. I already know. He's making the uh, the head bully look ridiculous. So then Ender Ender ends up starting to play some games. So, the, I mean, this is all going on. This is taking place over weeks and and whatever. It's not just in the first few days or whatever. This is days in school or whatever. Then yep. it goes into the, the first uh, experience in the battle room. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so the, the battle room is pretty cool. I like how they have it set up. And, yeah, we'll talk about it after we watch it in the reiterated. But the book does a really great job of making the battle room seem really cool. Mm-hmm. To, to make a long story short, it's like zero-G laser tag. Right, yeah. And when you get shot in the legs or the arm, it'll freeze. And you aren't done until you've been shot in the chest. That's destroyed. But if they disable your legs, you can still shoot. If they disable one of your arms, you can still use the other arm to shoot. So until you've been hit in like the chest, you are able to continue fighting. It's basically teaching you to not give up until you're done. Until you're absolutely done. Yeah, you right. you keep fighting because these buggers are going to keep coming at you no matter if you take off some of their limbs. So you just you got to do what you have to do. So you fight till the end. Yeah, and you can use some of that to your advantage. You can use your legs, like Ender learns pretty much right away, that you can use your legs as something to block the rest of your body. Or you can use a friend to say one of your other guys has been shot. You can use them as a human shield, and they'll be stiff. Because if your arm's pointing straight out when it gets shot, it will be stuck in that position. If your knee is bent, your knee is going to continue to be bent. It won't be able to move because the suit locks it up. Mm-hmm. Like a uh, a strategy that Ender invents is to uh, like he freezes his own legs in a cr- like a crouching position, and then he uh, uses those legs as cover 
to mm-hmm. fire fire between the legs so that he's not so easily hit. Yeah, he picks up uh he picks up uh the the zero G and the different strategies, just even how to how to move quicker than everybody else. Yep. He's watching Bernard and Bernard's friend. How do you pronounce that? I was I was pronouncing it uh, a, lie? a lie. Yeah, I would say yeah, a lie. A lie. It is a lie. Okay. Yep. He's uh getting to learn like the controls of the gun and uh all the kids are kind of goofing around in the zero G and, and messing around. But uh, Ender has uh, this notion that because Alai is uh, Bernard's kind of closest friend in their, in their little bully clique uh, that, that Bernard's been making, that he's going to uh, get close to Alai and kind of... Circumvent the whole <laughs> Bernard yeah, being a bully. He's going to ingratiate with him, yeah, and kind of break up the, uh, the clique that way. And while they're all kind of like floating around, not really know what to do, Ender, Ender is noticing things like Bernard is panicking when he's when he's flying. He can't he can't figure out what to do. Whereas Ender at this point has already figured out how to rebound off the walls, and he's he's testing out the the battlefield, how it works, how to jump around, how to how to move through the space in quick, efficient manners. And other people are like trying to swim through it, but there's not really any way to swim. You're you're in zero gravity. You can't there's nothing to grab onto really. They've got these stars placed around the area that you can like bounce off of it like uh barriers type things, but they're in star formation, so they can they can jump up and grab onto it, hide behind it, push off of it, and they se- they can set them in different configurations depending on the battle. And what the star the quote unquote stars are basically just like big blocks from which to uh to take cover and it like changes the battlefield and right. they, they just reconfigure it for, for each battle. Yep. So Ender and Eli conspire to uh to get together with Bernard and, and Shen and they uh they go on a little shooting spree and take the uh the other students by surprise and start freezing everybody else just to kind of test out how the guns work but it also kind of serves the the double purpose of ender ingratiating himself into kind of the the in crowd and like kind of breaking up the the barrier between uh the uh the in crowd and the and the outcasts by bringing shen along and uh in- including Eli and Bernard so it kind of uh solidifies the group of uh of launchies yeah ender uh put this little plan in motion basically made Eli the leader of the group so he he replaced Bernard with Eli because Eli and him were friends whereas Bernard was an enemy the launch was no longer divided into Bernard's in group and ender's outcast Eli was the bridge but this is where we learn about the giant and the giant's game yeah, after that whole game, after they're done playing around in there, they basically Dap comes in. He's like, "All right, that's enough of this nonsense. You guys suck." <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> they go back to their room, and Ender pulls his desk out. Uh, yep, they have a free play time for free play time. Yep, and free play is a weird kind of puzzle <laughs> simulation type game where it puts you in really strange scenarios, and you have to figure out what to do. And survive. So it's a very advanced WarioWare. And he's got <laughs> different, like that, yeah. different avatars. He started as a little boy and then he turned into a, lo- a large mouse with hand, delicate hands. And he played with a cat and then it got easy to dodge the cat. And so he went and he tried and he was like, he was trying against this giant and he was, he was getting irritated with it. Because no matter what he chose, 
the the giant had a game where it basically put these two glasses in front of him. And no matter which glass he chose, it was it killed him. So he couldn't figure out how to beat the giant. So he went on to do other stuff. He was trying to play with dive bombing ducks and he turned into a fish and he didn't like that. It reminded him of being frozen in the battle room. But he keeps uh like all roads kind of lead to the uh the giant and his uh his guessing game. Yep. Of uh, two different glasses to choose from. And they have different effects. It's like two different uh, glasses and the liquids are different each time. Sometimes uh, sometimes his head dissolves like acid. Sometimes catches him on fire. Sometimes his dude falls in and drowns. And uh, the conversation between, I think it was, it was Graf and somebody else in the beginning, they're, they're talking about how uh, like nobody ever gets past the giant's drink. Uh, the uh, The... The leaders, the uh, uh, the the high brass, the the teachers or whatever, they can obviously monitor uh, what the students are are doing with this game, uh, observe their uh, problem solving abilities. So the, he gets back to the giant, and instead of picking up one of the glasses to drink, Ender kicks one over. The giant starts yelling, "Cheater, cheater!" But uh, then Ender jumped onto the giant's face. Began to dig into the giant's eye. <laughs> yeah. Then, like, I came away like cottage cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very vivid image. Just kicks the giant in the chin, burrows into the giant's eye, <laughs> claws away at it, and it comes apart like cottage cheese. Yep. And then the giant falls over, basically dead, and uh, a bat flies up, and he offers some of the eye stuff to the bat, and the bat's the bat took it and was like, hey, welcome to Fairyland. So he, <laughs> like, he finally made it to Fairyland. Game, what kind of game would this be a solution in? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I can't figure out how to how to get past this uh, test of wits of which, uh, which cup to drink. Well, the solution is to enter the giant's eyeball and then then feed some of that shit to a bat. (laughs) The game is something that is basically created by their own minds, though. It it has this, like, as it the the computer reads, and it comes up later. They talk about it later, what exactly is going on with the game. But you basically don't have anything holding you back from doing whatever you intend to do. It all depends on what choices you are going to make, and there's nothing stopping you from making any choice. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, and it's I'm wondering... Ender's Game. Uh-huh. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder just like whether this program kind of writes itself as, as they go along. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what it is, because, I mean, later it comes up to a point where something happens that they've never seen before. Even now, by killing the giant, he is the first person to have ever killed the giant. And the bat welcomes him to fairyland. Yeah, like, so they, they talk about it in the beginning of the next chapter where they're like, that was it was impossible for someone to beat that. It's the unbeatable game, and it, he won regardless. And so this is where they decide that it's time to move him. They, they want to move him up to the next step, which is becoming a, a member of one of the armies in the, the battle school. Yeah, in the beginning of the next chapter, Salamander, they talk about how the whole thing with the the players getting killed by the giant is messed up that they're doing this and they're having kids play this game. But at the same time, they're kind of preparing these kids for the fact that death is just a thing and they don't want them to care about death. 
at all. Like, ugh, you're going to die. Ugh, people are going to die. Things are going to happen. Whatever. Move on. Keep moving forward. And then they say what everybody's been thinking. Does it ever seem to you that these boys aren't children? I look at what they do, the way they talk, and they don't seem like little kids. Yep. They're the most brilliant children in the world, each in his own way. But shouldn't they still act like children? They aren't normal. And they're not at all. There's something different. And I, I guess in the next book, they explain what the why these kids are the way they are as far as their mental capacity and all that. But it's not really necessary in this. And I have a feeling that it was a thing where he was like, ooh, I got to explain why they're the way they are. <laughs> so he wrote it in the next book. But I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that these kids are all born and trained with a purpose from the beginning. So everybody has a... You know, I mean, I, I've seen videos of four year olds doing pretty amazing things. And I often wonder, like, you know, like, oh, it's so amazing. Look what this kid's doing. And I'm like, yeah, but what's it like <laughs> for that kid at home? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, is that kid mm-hmm. ever getting any time to have fun or are they just like this is fun for him? It's fun for him to learn all of Beethoven's work on the piano. It's fun. <laughs> he enjoys it. He just learned it. Like, I don't know. I think you abuse your kid. <laughs> I mean, well, right. my one friend learned uh, what was it, Moonlight Sonata, so that he could get Alan Trammell's uh, rookie baseball card. So, yeah, but he—that was something he wanted to do. I mean, some of these kids are just like it's like, man. I yeah. mean, yeah, you, uh, those kids might have some success, but what, what's their mental state when they're teenagers and young adults? Mm-hmm. I wonder. Well, somehow, like Ender's mental state is as a like a weathered fully fully functioning adult mind who reasons like a like an experienced tactician yeah he does for sure <laughs> not just some piano savant or something but he does end up getting a uh, a message that he is now to leave the launches and he is headed to the salamander army where he'll meet his new commander bonzo madrid or bonzo madrid he <laughs> we would read it at first but find out it's bonzo Bonso. His new uh, code is green, green, brown, and he doesn't need to take any possessions with him because they don't have possessions. But he's moving forward to the battle room to a, a team that goes into the battle room regularly for training long before he should be. Most kids don't make it for a couple years, and he's going there. He's only been here months at this point. He's getting called up from like single A to double A. And this is when yeah. we have a, a a nice moment with uh, two friends because, they, you know, they're joking about him leaving. Yeah, because this is where Ender's, Ender's finally getting comfortable and finally like having friends and things seem to be good. But uh, obviously he's got to be more isolated. So they are bringing him up into Salamander Army. And so... Right before he leaves, Eli suddenly kissed Ender on the cheek and whispered in his ear, Salam. Then he walked away. Because that was forbidden. A suppressed religion, perhaps. Or maybe the word had some private and powerful meaning for Eli alone. And we do find out later in the book what it what it stands for. Yeah. And then this brings a memory to him of a time when his mom had prayed over him and he just remembered the holiness of it. You know, because oh, in this world so where religion holy. is suppressed, they <laughs> I mean, turn I, children into soldiers. That's so, what we're looking forward to <laughs> when we get rid of religion. <laughs> I mean, small victories. I mean, at least Orson Scott Card is in, including Islam in uh, in the whole suppressed religions of, the, of right. this world. Well, there are no gay people in Islam. 
Obviously. Right. He's <laughs> so down not with that. That's why he gets along with him so well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he had given Ender a gift so sacred that even Ender could not be allowed to understand what it meant. When when he left, he knew that he had uh he had to go to a different part of the school to find his green green brown because they would it wouldn't show up in the launchy section. So he goes back into the into the free play game. In he the public, back in in public the, area. In the public area, right? Yep. And he goes back in and the uh, the giant's corpse is already <laughs> decayed. It's starting to turn into like a hill. Which that's a that's an interesting kind of game where it uh, saves your progress like that and <laughs> time advances and and uh, your defeated enemies don't don't fade away. They actually right. decay. <laughs> I think there should be more games like that where the uh, the bodies stick around. Right. Uh, is he goes around? There is what game is it where the shit stays persistent for a long time? I can't remember what game it is now. I think it's like one of the Fallout games, like Fallout Three, maybe. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, where it's like you kill things and it it persists. Like you come back later and it's still there. Yeah, I seem to remember that part of a uh, of Fallout games too, particularly three where you can like pick them up and move them around. And I didn't play Fallout Four all that much, but I think that kind of. Uh, persisted a little bit too but yeah Fallout 4 was really fun i like that one i kind of fell into a part where i was just sticking around the uh uh i think it was sanctuary <laughs> just building up the the base and not getting into the game right <laughs> like at all <laughs> just you know setting up stakes and staying in one part of, of the world for a while but yeah this seems to be a game with at least that kind of of freedom or uh attention to detail maybe not only persistence, but it seems to continue after you're gone because at this point he hasn't played in a minute and the giant's corpse is decaying and becoming part of the landscape. But he's able to go around the giant and he sees there's like a playground with monkey bars and teeter totters and whatnot. And there's a bunch of kids playing there and he notices that he's smaller than the other kids. And when he gets in line for the slide, uh, he climbs to the top and he watched the kids go down. And as he started to slide, he fell through. And yeah, he, all he wasn't the, able all to stay on the slide. things at this playground would mess with him. Like, sometimes the monkey yeah. bar, he'd be on the monkey bar and one of the bars would fall out. Or he'd be on the teeter-totter and something would happen. And, and yeah, these kids all just uh, laugh at him and then they go back to playing. And it was pissing him off, basically. He wanted to hurt him, but he decided to walk into the forest instead and get away from him. He finds, like, this ancient brick road starts walking down it. But what came out of the woods... Wolves! Wolves with human faces! Slavering wolves. (laughs) And the human faces were those of the children from the playground. Those fucking kids he should have killed in the first place. And so Ender got eaten. (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be some kind of symbolism to the things that happen in this game. I say it all the time, man. I wonder what it could be. If little kids are laughing at you, punch them and show them who's boss. Yep, dropkick them, motherfuckers. Boom. <laughs> and they killed him, though. They devoured him quickly because he didn't have a weapon. And they went back again. And yeah, I mean, he plays this game and eventually he wins. He figures it out. He figures out how to kill the wolves. And he basically dispatches all of them after a while. The brook was made of acid. So he just throw the wolves in and then they de- they would uh, disintegrate. Yeah, he figured out that he could lure uh, the wolves like he climbs up the uh, the slide and make them... Uh, like if he as he falls through them or yeah. something like the they start falling and uh, he drags the bodies to uh, to the brook and throws them in and they sizzle away. 
Yep. And then he he ends up fi- getting through to a cavern after this, and he finds he finds this cave, and he finds these friendly looking creatures, and he's like, ah, I don't really care about the friendly creatures, and uh, he finds a door finally that says the end of the world, and he doesn't hesitate; he just goes right through, and it's literally like an edge, a ledge on a cliff. And he's on a ledge, and he just sees this beautiful, beautiful display. Deep green forest with dashes of autumn color and patches here and there of cleared land. With ox-drawn plows and small thatch-roof cabin villages. Yeah. Thatch-roof cottages! But yeah, so he ends up like, yeah, after he jumps off yeah, the he edge jumps and off everything. The ledge. <laughs> he, ju- he jumps off the ledge, not thinking, he's like, whatever, I'm gonna see he's what like, happens. And eh. he, he ends up being okay. Um, well, he gets carried by a cloud. So yeah. they, apparently this is a, a Mario world. <laughs> right. And uh, what's his, what's that guy from uh, Mario Kart that's holding the... Lakitu? Yeah. I was like, how do you pronounce this? Is it Lakitu or Lakitu? Mm-hmm. Some people say Lakitu. Well, that guy, I, he stole the cloud. <laughs> yeah. Lakitu's mm. cloud. But he ends up, uh, he finds this rug and it turns into a, a it's serpent. In ca- it's in that castle. A snake. And it, yeah, in, in a castle that he gets to, and it, it tells him it's his only escape, his death is his only escape, and he's looking around for a weapon, and then suddenly it goes dark, and it sa- the screen goes dark, and it says, report to commander immediately, you are late, green, green, brown. And that pisses him off, but uh, he he goes and follows, the, follows it over there, does as he's told, even though he doesn't like doing as he's told. I guess I'll go report to my new army. When he gets there, he notices that armies are much larger than launch groups, which makes sense. And these armies, I believe there's somewhere around like 40 people in the armies, 40, 41, something like that. Yeah. So here they'll have like a barracks and everybody gets in the barracks, but the commander has their own private room. But Bonzo doesn't like having his own private room and he tries to like play it off as being, you know, that he'd rather be with his soldiers. But it's honestly ends up being that he's scared of the dark. He's afraid to be alone. What is that in Spanish? What's that phrase? It says uh, the name is Spanish. Bonzo Madrid. Bonzo Madrid. Aquí nosotros hablamos español. <laughs> aquí, aquí nosotros hablamos español, señor Gran Fedor. What does that mean? It means here we speak Spanish, Mr. Mister Great Odor. I looked up the word Fedor and it didn't have a Spanish translation. It it had a Portuguese translation. Interesting. Weird, weirdly enough. And it, it translated to like a bad odor. Okay. That's weird. I, I think maybe <laughs> he just kind of Google translated a, uh, a phrase from English to Spanish. In 1984? Or whatever. And, yep. He's, wow. uh, he's, he's that talented. That of course, Scott Card. Card was way ahead of his time. But uh, funnily enough, this is the only Spanish <laughs> in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's the only time they speak Spanish. He <laughs> says, here we speak Spanish, Mr. Great, Mr. Big Odor. Yeah, we're Spanish speakers, so let's start <laughs> talking in English. <laughs> we never speak Spanish again. Yeah. <laughs> but all these kids are like, you're... You, you're not a salamander. You need to get the fuck out of here. And Bonzo definitely doesn't like him being there. There's a girl. There's actually a girl here. Uh, she made it through the evolutionary barrier. <laughs> <laughs> she somehow overcame her handicap. Yep. Of having ovaries. <clears throat> yep. Having a uterus, yes. 
And uh, this is where, you know, another one chimed in, shit talking, shit talking, shit talking. That is one of the first times in any of the books we've read where we've had like the word shit, which is fine. I'm cool with it. <laughs> Mother Petra, she talking, she talking, she talking, shit talking, shit talking, shit talking. Yeah, Ender's despaired because he made the wrong friend because <laughs> Petra is the outcast right. because she's a girl. Yep. God damn it. <laughs> I did it again. But it's perfect for the commanders. They want him to be, or the officers, that's what they want, is for him to always be outcast at some in some way. He's got to prove to everybody that he's worth it. And uh, Bonzo's kind of a dick. He's kind of a hard ass. Yeah, he basically tells Ender that he's got to, when they go to the battle room, he can't go in. He's yeah, got to wait too, he's four minutes. because he's only six yep. years old. Six years, nine months, and 12 days old. Yeah, so. but he didn't ask how old he was going to be. He asked how old he was. Well, that's why he's, which he's, is at six. first he said, uh, I'm yeah. almost seven. <laughs> but he's one of those power trippy leaders that uh, is all posture and no substance. Right. And he basically thinks, Bonzo thinks that this is a trick. Like Salamander Army's doing really well, so the officers are putting Ender in there to fuck with him. So that's why that's why Bonzo's like, you aren't coming out there at all. We're not going to let you weaken us. And so you you won't get to train. You're not going to train with us. You're not going to battle with us. And when you come out, you come out and you hang on to the door, but you don't do anything. And I'm going to get rid of you as soon as I can. Petra tries to defend him at one point, says he's all heart. And uh, Bonzo just slaps her right across the face, back of his hand. With just his fingernails, just his <laughs> oh, fingernails. Yeah, with just his fingernails. He doesn't even make good contact, but he just right. like, scratches her with his fingernails trying to slap her. Yeah. Yep. But uh, Petra, uh, she takes it like a champ, doesn't even cry out. And in here, uh, they don't have like locks on their lockers. They're, everything's wide open, so there's no privacy within when you're in an army. They've, they're further removing your individuality is what they're trying to do, which... So, like, buggers are are bugs, and they seem to work in concert with each other, uh, like a flock of birds or, like, a, a colony of ants, how they can decide things without having to talk to each other necessarily, like we need to. And the people in charge understand that if you're going to beat something like that, then you need to be like that. You need to be able to make decisions and move immediately not not transfer it down the line and and get everybody stationed up and ready and the a team needs to work without having to communicate very much at all they need to be able to just Mm -hmm. get their idea across and go and that's what these battle games are the battle games are cool like i like how they describe them um when they get in there I mean, there, there's a lot here. Bonzo's a dick, and he's just continuously being a dick to him. Uh, yeah, Petra, him and Petra's uh, relationship grow quite a bit here just because they spend time together. And yeah, talk and-, and Petra kind of helps him learn how to, how to shoot, and she starts giving him tips. Like, she'll go in free time and teach him how to, how to move around and shoot in the battle room. Um, and Bonzo doesn't like that. He's basically like... No, you can't do that anymore. And that does come to a point where uh, that does come to a point where Ender is able to pull a move that pisses Bonzo off, but at the same time shows that Ender again can outthink his enemy. And so Petra and Ender start doing this training after breakfast, and they're during their free time, 
And Bonzo's like, you aren't allowed to do that anymore. And Ender says to him, well, can I speak to you privately? And Bonzo's like, you motherfucker. Because the rule (laughs) is that if you ask a commander if you can speak to them privately, they have to acknowledge that and give you the opportunity. And he basically says, listen, he's like, you uh, I'll follow any order that you give me, but you or that you're allowed to give me. He's like, but you aren't allowed to give that order because free time is free time. And he's like, so you're going to go in there and you're going to tell everybody you changed your mind. And Bonzo's like, well, and he's like, not right now. You're not going to do it. He's like, tomorrow morning. He goes, we'll go in there right now. You can pretend like you won. I'll act like I'm hurt, <laughs> like I lost. And he goes, but tomorrow morning, you're going to tell everyone you changed your mind and that I can train on my free time. And this just further ostracizes them with Bonzo. Bonzo is really pissed about this now because he hadn't thought of all this or or he thought maybe his attitude and being a dick was going to be enough to make Ender just bow down. But clearly he doesn't know Ender. And another reason why uh, Bonzo doesn't want him doing that is because of who he's practicing with. He's practicing with some launchies. He's practicing with Ali, uh, Ali and, Shen, and Shen along with Petra. No, not at this point. It's just Petra at the beginning. No, when you're talking, it's he's talking before that is where uh, if only. He, oh, OK. Yeah. So if only he still had a lion Shen to practice with. Yeah. Yeah. No, right now so he's, he's just, just thinking about with Petra. Yeah, think, he wants yeah. to do that. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is. Yeah. Right. And then there was a rule where Bonzo got pissed off because Ender was like laying naked in his bed and Bonzo was like, you can't get naked in here because Petra's in here and he's like well Petra walks around naked sometimes and they're like yeah Petra can do what she wants but you can't and Ender's kind of like well she still looks like a boy I mean we're all it's not like she's got boobs and stuff at this point you know what I mean but I kind of get it (laughs) like but at the same time oh oh he says that it splits the army and Ender's mind that splits the army like making her different makes it puts a divide between her and the boys and puts too much focus on, like, why? Well, why? Why is that that way? You know, which I kind of agree with. But at the same time, I also don't think, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so this it, is the author saying that if we allow women in the military, like, everybody should be naked or nobody should be naked or we can't separate. We can't give women special treatment because they're in the military. Again, um, this this hits on this hits on Starship Troopers for me. There's a scene in Starship Troopers where after their training they men and women all go in the shower and shower together and they're not you know it's not a sexual thing so i think to some extent that is kind of true we create these tensions by by doing that but it's so far gone at this point that it'd be really difficult for us to come up with that plan today like if we couldn't all of a sudden today say well you know all bathrooms are just neutral and and any kind of locker room is neutral now we we wouldn't be able to do that now right because we've already decided that that's the way it is but if you look at like tribes that still live in a tribal manner where women are walking around without their shirt on the men aren't just fucking tripping over themselves to you know, bone because there's boobs out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We we've created that by by this cover up and this making it a mystery and making it something you have to gain and get to. We mm-hmm. we create that tension. So 
yeah, it is kind of fucked up that we, you know. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's all kinds of sexual assault that's that's happening in our military that's uh, that's coming out and they don't want they don't want to address it. And they are actively trying to cover up. Which is why 90 percent like they say that almost probably like I don't know the actual numbers, but most of it goes unreported because they know it will it will do nothing. So most of the sexual assault that happens in the military is against other men, though. Right. You know that like. There's definitely sexual assault that happens against women, but most of the sexual assault that happens in the military is men on men. I hadn't heard that. That must be pretty, uh, pretty well obscured. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm. Yeah. I'm- Why would you say something? I, again, we're talking about a, a culture that, first off, um, I mean, you know, people like Orson Sky here. The, the the whole gay is bad, right? But then you go into the culture of the military where it's all supposed to be strong men. Well. First off, you wouldn't want to report if you were the one who got sexually assaulted, right? Because then you're weak because you got sexually assaulted by a guy in your butt, right? And then and then if you're trying to report on somebody, then that would suggest that that guy might have proclivities, which would only bring further, you know, attacks. And if his buddies were cool to watch and let him do that, or, or you know what I mean, stand guard or whatever had to happen for that to happen, then no one's going to believe you if you come forward about it, right? I mean, that's kind right. of a prison mentality. If the prisoners are standing around watching the door while one guy rapes another guy, they aren't going to back you up if you try to tell on them, you know? So yeah. and this stuff is, is happening in the book, like not so much with the sexual assault stuff, but, you know, if Ender goes to a uh one of the the higher ups if he you know hides behind uh the brass or whatever he's going to be seen as weak and like nobody wants that Ender doesn't want that graf doesn't want that uh, want him to uh to be doing that and he's purposely making it making it tough on him in an environment where you know he will fail he will uh kind of fail everybody if he uh is so weak as to go to one of the the teachers or adults with his problems. Right. And I mean, even though this is supposed to be in a military sense, I can definitely remember like, and I think about it for kids even today, because like if something say was happening to one of my kids, I would definitely be like, Hey, I want you to go to an adult and say something. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, the reality is, and the reality was when we were kids, too, that when when you go to an adult and say something like even people that may have not had a problem with you before are going to be like, well, you're a tattletale. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of a sudden you're further ostracized because you went to an adult and you didn't handle it yourself. OK, I, I think it's interesting that since the implementation of zero tolerance policies where not I'm not saying kids should be able to fight with no consequence. Right. Or that they should be able to beat each other up. But if mm-hmm. a kid's if a kid is getting beat up or attacked and decides to fight back, but then becomes suspended because they defended themselves, that puts them in a weird position where it's like, well, you can't defend yourself or you're going to get suspended. Right. Right. Isn't it strange that since zero tolerance policies were enacted, suddenly now we have more kids that get to a point where they feel like there's no choice and they grab a gun and go to school and shoot a bunch of people up because that didn't happen prior to zero tolerance policies. 
Hmm. It's you're so so these kids are so fucking pent up at getting picked on and that the only thing they can do is go to an adult. But if they go to an adult, they're just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. So they but they can't handle it themselves because if they handle it themselves, they're going to get in trouble. They're pushed into a little fucking box. Right. I mean, maybe not. I'm not saying that they shouldn't get in trouble if they get in a fight. But zero tolerance policies don't work for anything, by the way. Yeah. Zero tolerance crime policies don't work. Zero tolerance policies don't work ever. <laughs> <laughs> like how many people in our generation had had dads usually that to, uh, that told us, you know, if you if a bully uh, tries to fight you, you you want make sure you want to throw the first punch and hit him so hard that he doesn't get back up. Mine wasn't to throw the first punch. I was told that if somebody hit me, make sure I was the one who hit last. That was what I was told. Hmm. So I and I never got into a fight in school that didn't start with me getting hit first. I never started the fight. I would wait until I got hit. And then it was on, though. And I remember because it was about middle school when the zero tolerance parties policies came in. I got in a few fights in in elementary school. Right. And it would be a talk in the principal's office. Okay, get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Everybody's in trouble. Maybe I had detention. Um, No big deal. But then. I got into a couple of fights later on and in middle school, I got into a fight and I got in school suspension for a week. And then I just kind of stopped because it was, you know, I didn't fight back after that. Right. So I would just get picked on and picked on. And I mean, I was an angry fucking kid who didn't feel like I could tell adults what was going on because I felt like I'd just get picked on more. And I didn't feel like I could do anything about the getting picked on. You know, culminating in a point where I got jumped after school outside of the school because they knew that they knew that nothing would happen to them then because we weren't under the school rules anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, Hmm. I think it's interesting that zero tolerance policies come in and then, you know, it's just been a continuous growth of these violent acts at schools that are way too much of a reaction. I'm I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's the zero tolerance policy. I think it's just the the changing of culture. And you said it in elementary. Yeah, you got a talking to because you were still very young in middle school. You're older. They expect you to have a different way of thinking, even though you're still a child. And so there's going to be more punishments for things like that. And the way I was raised is if someone tries to fight you, you tell an adult and that adult will take care of it because they're an adult. And so I did not care that I was, you know, I still will go to, I will still like cover my ass, uh, being like, oh, the manager said I was supposed to do this. Uh, as a little kid, someone tried to fight me, I would go to an adult, they would stop it. And yeah, they might make fun of me for going and telling on them or whatever, but you know what? They never messed with me again because they knew I would do it again. So (laughs) I just, you know, that, that worked for me telling an adult and yeah, it stopped. I I did get picked on, but it it was, it never turned into a fight. It was just like, oh, you're fat. You got glasses. Yeah, I am fat. I do have glasses. I'm still smarter than you. <laughs> so. The trick is make it not fun for them to continue. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Take away their enjoyment of the act. <laughs> Going to an adult never successfully worked for me. Well, I'm so, sorry that you had a terrible time. That's not that's not an uncommon experience, though. Oh, I'm sure. So, anyhow. All right. But yeah, so he's in Salamander Army, but they are not letting uh, 
his commander will not let him do anything in the battles. So he watches and learns strategies that he can use in the future. He's watching the, the battle go on. He's nitpicking the, uh, or analyzing the strategies used by his, his army and the, the opponent's army. Mostly Bonso's strategies. Just uh, kind of shaking his head at everything he's doing, basically. Yeah, because Bonzo's strategies are not very good. He's more, uh, more interested in keeping, uh, in keeping control of his, uh, of his people than actually having a a winning strategy to, uh, to counter the opponents. Right. It's more that I'm the boss feeling than than anything Mm -hmm. and he won't let ender like he tells ender to wait four minutes before even entering the battle room and just stay by the door and not fire your weapon because you are nothing and you're not going to help anyway so technically you have to be there so that's all you're going to do is just be there so yeah they go through this whole battle and ender does exactly what he was told he he doesn't shoot he just Stays out of the way, and he gets shot and damaged, but not he wasn't destroyed. So when they mm-hmm. and when the other team wins, they see that there's still a soldier that was active, and it was Ender. And Ender's right, like, and he could have stopped him. Yeah, I could have done it, but he could have at least made it a draw instead of a victory, right? Because to win these uh, these um, battles, you have to have four. Uh, soldiers like press their helmets against uh, the panel of the the opposing team's doorway and then one other soldier go through the doorway and that's what what ends the game and Ender is the last man standing on his team and is watching this all happen as uh, five of the uh, opponent's guys are, are doing this and he could have taken enough of them out to make it a draw instead of a loss for for Salamander but Bonzo's way too proud for that so, but when the other soldiers look at him and ask why he, he didn't shoot, he just replies, I obey orders. And Bonzo's so proud, he, even after this, he says, the order still stands. Don't you forget it. So, Ender's like, yeah, eh, you're going to keep losing. But, okay. But uh, because of how, because of what happened, Ender actually ends up being the leader of the of the scoreboard. Because though he didn't shoot anybody, he also didn't get shot. He didn't die. So... Yep, he's got a perfect record. <laughs> One right. battle, no deaths. Which makes him look better than he actually is at this point. And uh, he's still practicing with Petra, and more and more of the launchies are joining in with him. Uh, then he has to do some battles with Salamander, but they were easy battles, and he just did what he was supposed to do. Didn't do anything. Ender turned seven, but wasn't a big thing at battle school, because... It's just a number. But he did get a new uniform because he was older, but it was strange and loose, like his skin no longer fit properly. It did make him think about home and Valentine a little bit, so he was a little bit sad, but he remembered that the only reason he was here was so that a bugger wouldn't shoot out Valentine's eye, won't blast her head open like the soldiers in the video of the first battles with the buggers. And then there was another battle with Leopard Army. Leopard Army was new. They were really low in the standings. Yeah, Ender doesn't, he disobeys on this one. Yep. Yep. Same kind of situation as the first one. Yep. He's the last man standing, and this time he takes out a few of them and makes it a draw instead of a loss, because he's decided that he's learned everything that he's going to learn from Bonzo Madrid. Yeah, there's nothing to learn from this guy anymore, and Bonzo finally is able to trade him away. But then, 
Bonzo swung at him, caught his jaw with a vicious open hand slap. So hard that Ender, it knocked Ender sideways into his bunk and he almost fell. Then Bonzo slugged him in the stomach. Bonzo, you disobeyed me loudly for all to hear. No good soldier ever disobeys. <laughs> good soldiers follow orders. But Ender just, oh, he's, it's crazy how like weirdly demented he is. Because at this point he says he could not take vengeful, could not help but take vengeful pleasure in the murmurs he heard rising through the barracks. You aren't enforcing discipline, you're destroying it. They know I turned your defeat into a draw, and now they see how you repay me. So basically, somebody did something good, and they're punished for it. What What do you think the other members of your squad are going to learn from that? Yeah. To Just... not fuck up again, or they'll get hit. That's what you learn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's probably the best lesson you'll ever learn. Follow orders, <laughs> even if it means you lose. Yeah. It's or you'll a, get it's hit. It's a great lesson. Yeah. Or you get hit. Or you get hit. <laughs> It's the only, the only form of discipline that actually works. Corporal punishment. <laughs> Corporal punishment. It's the only one. So yeah, Ender leaves the barracks, but he doesn't take anything with him. He has no possessions. Yeah, because this at this point, again, they're just basically, you know, they're pos- they are possessions at this point, and nothing they have is theirs. And so he uses one of the public desks in the game room to register for an Earth Gravity personal combat course. So self-defense. Yeah. So he can fight. Yeah. Because he didn't plan to get vengeance, but he did intend that no one would ever do that to him again. Which is the point of learning how to fight. (laughs) I mean, if you're doing it right, it's to be able to defend yourself because the reality of the world is not everybody's so nice. And that's up to chapter eight, you guys. Yep. We got through four more chapters. <laughs> right. With the chapters in this book, though, I mean, there's only like 15 chapters, 14 or 15 yeah, chapters Yeah, they're in this book. very, very As long. each chapter gets longer and longer as you go. Well, mm-hmm. and if you look in the actual book, there's little stopping points throughout the chapters, too. Right. Yeah. So it is it is still digestible. But the as far as chapter numbers go, numbered chapters go, they get quite more... More substance to them. Indeed. And this is a very substantial book. Yes. yes. Like we are we are having a hard time <laughs> summarizing things because there's there's so much that happens and so much to talk about. There is a lot that goes on, right? And and I don't want to get so lost in summarizing that we aren't going off and talking about other things that go along with it, like thoughts and Mm-hmm. Yeah. analysis to what's going on because we aren't just trying to tell the story here obviously we're also yeah. trying to have some conversation that isn't somebody else's thoughts mm-hmm. we're not a, a review podcast we we are more of a, i mean we sell ourselves as a book club and book clubs uh have discussions uh on the on the topics that come up in these books right so and they talk about the parts they like and what happened, and there you go. And and they get caught up in uh, in tangents and conversations, and <laughs> it, it makes for a good time. I've never been a been a part of a book club before, but I imagine that uh, they go something like this. So I believe so. Yeah, I've, I don't know. I've never been I've a never... part of an official one. So. Right. I mean, other than this one, obviously. Yep. Right. <laughs> and it's our book club, so we can do whatever the fuck we want yeah. with it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, you associate book clubs with like housewives that have nothing else to do, right? <laughs> They're not going to talk about right. books the same way we're going to talk about books. Well, that's what we're missing. Vodka and Valium, guys. Ooh, <laughs> make this a real, 
book club party. Right. I mean, if you want to hear it on vodka, just uh, slow it down to, what, 0.5? Yeah, 0.5 speed. <laughs> you can hear what it sounds like if we were drinking vodka. Takes a little longer to listen to, but it's yeah. monumentally more <laughs> hilarious. We have kind of a natural slur to our voices. Each one of us, yeah. <laughs> Being uh, Midwestern boys as we are. Uh, Michigan. <laughs> Michigan, yeah. So. But yeah, I think that's going to uh, to do it for uh, part two of Ender's Game, you guys. Yeah, Andy, I don't think we got to the end of the book. Nope, we didn't get to the end of the book, so <laughs> <laughs> I still got some time to finish it. So, yeah, but... Well, guys, I thought this was pretty good this week. And uh, anybody got any shout outs, uh, any plugs, anything like that going on? Uh, We don't have anything in the mailbox, but I did just before we started uh, this uh, this recording tonight. I've been talking on on Twitter via DMs with the the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Where a bunch of dudes from Florida uh, talk about uh, uh, the stories of, of uh, Florida Man and all Florida Man's uh, antics. Nice. Excellent. Uh, as as well as uh, some uh, some historical stuff around Florida. Like I listened to an episode today uh, of, of their podcast. They actually sound, they sound really great. Uh, I like their their discussion. Uh, they talked about the uh, the Fountain of Youth. I'll have to check it out. Uh, yep, yeah. they've been going for a couple years now. But uh, yeah, that's the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast, and uh, they said that they're kind of do a a review exchange with us uh, for Apple Podcasts. So oh, cool, very cool. Shout out to those guys. Thanks, guys. And uh, yeah, thank you. Shout out to any of you other listeners who want to uh, to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would really help us out. On the our subreddit, I started uh, a a I stickied a a comment thread so that you can post your suggest book suggestions. So that's right at the top of our page. Oh yeah, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Is uh, we in the future want to do a uh, a chapter on listener suggested uh, books. So uh, get in touch with us um, via email, Twitter, uh, our subreddit, our Facebook, and uh, let us know a book that you uh, you want us to cover and discuss, and we'll uh, incorporate it into our uh, future chapter on listener submitted uh, requested books. We've uh, we've already have. I had a couple, but uh, we're going to need a, a couple more to make a whole chapter of it. So get those in, ladies and And if germs. you happen to have a favorite choose-your-own-adventure book, we'll take Ooh. those too, because we do those Yes. As well. <laughs> yep. Our next one is coming up. Pretty soon. Right mm-hmm. after uh, <laughs> my teacher is an alien, right? Yes. Yep. I mean, we've got uh, over half of Ender's Game to get through, <laughs> and then my teacher is an alien. <laughs> yeah, and realistically, again, like... Ender's game is basically mostly battles from here on out. So, you know, yeah, a lot of the future of uh, Ender's game is going to be covered in, you know, how his battles go as he progresses in his battle school career. And that's a large chunk of the the remaining uh, part of the book. There's also a lot of uh, of other stuff that's going to spark some interesting conversation that happens uh, kind of in the background. And then there's like a, a last act of the book that I have yet to read, but uh, yeah, basically happens after he uh, gets out of battle school. So 
that's the future of our Ender's Game coverage. Yep. So yeah, that's going to do it for part two of Ender's Game. Thanks for listening to Reliterated. We are the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with your friends and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any podcatcher app that pulls from these sources and give us your reviews and ratings on whatever platform you use, uh, especially if you like us because it helps us grow. And don't forget, support your local library. They're uh, opening up uh, all around. I know the the one in Midland where I live is uh, finally opening up its doors. Yeah, I'm thinking the next time I go to get a book, I might actually go grab uh, one from the library because I've been getting them on my Kindle. But there is something about that page, the actual yeah. physical book. I bought I bought Ender's Game because I was like, this book is awesome. I want the physical, the physical form. Yeah. Yeah, as much of a <laughs> a character as Mr. Card is, he does have kind of I've been reading that he's got kind of a philosophy of keep it, of trying at least to keep uh theology out of uh fiction or whatever, but you know that only happens to a to an extent or whatever. But I do want to read on in the series and he apparently is still writing in this series. Like he's he's got more in this uh this timeline that's going to be released later this year actually. It's it's another state of I mean there comes a point where you have to you have to separate art from artists for the most part. I mean Mm-hmm. You know, you're always going to end up finding out that that person that wrote something or made something that you love, uh, turns out they aren't the perfect person that you hope they are. And right. the the story that they made or the song or whatever it be that is able, it, it stands on its own. It's its own thing, you know. And there's always a, a way to find to... Uh... Uh, ingest this uh these works without uh spending a dime towards uh towards them so right I'm gonna be honest this is the first one i this is the first book i bought <laughs> every other one i got from the library mm-hmm. so i guess if you like the artist feel free to support them uh if not if you like the the art but not the artist you know Find, buy it uh, used like I did. <laughs> <laughs> buy, yeah. buy it used is a great way to do it. And you yep. can do that at thriftbooks.com like I do. Or Half Price Books, which is where I got Ender's Game. Oh, or Half Price Books, yeah. But yeah, support your local uh, used bookstore as well. Those are definitely worthy businesses to uh, to put your money into. So yeah, this, uh, this outro has been going on for a while. So <laughs> we're going to sign off. Catch us next time for part three of Ender's Game. Until then, give a shit, read some lit. Good night, everyone. This has been fun. Thank you. Muchos gracias. <laughs> I tried to nail them all. <laughs> Señor Gran Fedor. Yeah, Señor Gran Fedor. <laughs> <sighs>
Again, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna just start using my weird uh like I know very little uh foreign languages, but what I do know, I, I usually know thank you, so <laughs> You think it's a good idea to give me that tactic? Uh I'm just not gonna tell you which languages I know. Duh. Uh there's only so many <laughs> that you're possibly gonna use. <laughs> Unless I look them up right before we do it. Oh. Oh, what if I look them all up? What if I say it. 10 different languages before I sign off? I don't know. I guess I'll have to make up my own language. Yeah. Ook, lock, look. Bibbidi bop. There you go.